Welcome in to the newest episode of Side Mission. I, like always, am your host, Rusty Ellis, joined by just one of the boys, Matt. Technically two of the boys. Kyle is doing the recording today, not Tabby. <laughs> Technically there's three of us here, but his ass is mute and he didn't play this game because Kyle hates Nintendo. Anyways, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not wrong about that, but uh, Matt, we are talking about Bayonetta Origins. We are on a roll with these uh, duo episodes. We are yep. on a roll doing these episodes. I love it. Uh, Band of Origins, uh, for all that we've talked about this year, Matt, whether it was Fire Emblem Engage, whether it was Metroid Prime Remastered, Octopath Traveler 2, there's a very good argument. I know Octopath Traveler 2 is on other platforms, but I mean, I associate it with the Switch first. That's just me. I don't know if you do the same, Matt. Uh, but yeah, I do. <laughs> for all the talk of how good those games have been, there's a very good shot that Nintendo might have had their best one released recently, and that was Bayonetta Origins, Cereza, and the Lost Demon. And, you know, you said something interesting, Matt, and I wanted to ask you about this on the podcast, why I haven't asked you off away from it, because I wanted an honest answer out of you. Uh, you said when this game was first revealed, you kind of laughed at it. I'm, I'm curious as to why. Um, so I think what it was for me is the fact that I am so used to, you know, when a Bayonetta game is announced that it is going to be... Um, I guess you can kind of call Bayonetta a AAA game, um, but it's it's just something different. And uh, this is definitely a don't judge a book by its cover situation here. When I first saw it, I was thinking, you know, this looks like a game that's going to be exclusive to the eShop for probably about $20, $30. Um, but just upon watching that first reveal, I believe it was revealed at the VGAs last year. Um, you know, they had just got done releasing Bayonetta 3 to, you know, critical acclaim um, and all the controversy surrounding it. So when I saw this game get announced, I was very, it, it piqued my curiosity. But then when I found out that it was going to be a full release, uh, full retail release title for $60, I scoffed at it. I was like, no. It doesn't look like it's going to be worth that much. I'll p- I'll pay about forty bucks at it because you know I'm a fan of Bayonetta. I love I love the series. Um, and I think it's just such a like huge overhaul of what I am used to with you know Bayonetta being such a action packed um, action adventure you know kind of game. And then you're just kind of looking at this more you know I don't want to say cartoony. Uh, the actual art style itself reminds me of Okami, uh, which after playing the game, I am, I am definitely wish I could go back in time and, and slap myself and be like, bro, don't say that this game looks dumb or don't say that this game looks don't like it, this game it, out. It's, yeah. it's a joke. Yeah. So I'm definitely glad that I gave it a shot, uh, especially after playing the demo. If this is a game that you're sitting on the fence for, play the demo, and I definitely think that it offers you um, enough content to really make a decision. You know, I want to touch on two things that you just said for multiple reasons. Uh, one, I think you're right that this game is such a massive departure from what the Bayonetta franchise has done. They're very action-heavy, very action-oriented. They're, they're almost like, I, I don't want to say like they're a, a light version of like Devil May Cry when it comes to the combat. But that's just, I see a lot of similarities in both of them. I haven't played much of the Bayonetta franchise, but I've obviously seen quite a bit of them. I just did a Matt thing right there. Uh, I played the 3DS, therefore I can review it on the Switch. Anyways, I'm kidding. Uh, 
but but it is a massive departure and i and i know that the few people i've talked to about it whenever i've been playing other games and i've been in parties has been like that's been the big sticking point of whether or not they want to try it is well you know i love bayonetta for what it is i don't know if this new game is really gonna interest me all that much i don't think that the play style it's more of a puzzle game there is obviously combat there is action but it's more of a puzzle solving game um it's a lot heavier on the story i think but I think that you're also spot on in saying that this game is 100% worth trying if you're on the fence about it. The last thing that you said I want to touch on before we get into the game heavily, I think that this is something that the eShop and Nintendo do very, very well that Sony and Mike and Microsoft do not do. I love the ideas of demos being more readily available there because yeah. you, you can try a game and you can learn pretty much right away, okay, Am I going to like this? Am I not going to like this? I've had a couple games, like Harvestella was one for me that I played the demo for, and I ended up dropping, you know, the full retail value on that game physically, or not physically, digitally, so that I could play more of it, and I loved it. So, on to Bayonetta Origins. Obviously, it's, it's you know, it's in the title. This is kind of the origin of the witch that went on to become Bayonetta, as she, you know, this is her as a kid. I think she's yeah. 12 in this game, Matt. Remind me, we've played a lot of games recently, so I've had to commit a lot of things to memory. So I think she's, uh, she's young. She's, she's very, young. Very yeah. young. She, she's, she's basically a teenager in this game. She's learning to be a witch. She's not great with magic yet. And she encounters this demon earlier on in the game that <laughs> this all seems so fake as I'm saying it out loud. I'm laughing at myself. <laughs> uh, basically, the demon ends up trapped inside of her stuffed bear her stuffed animal i don't remember what kind of animal it is specifically um, that was a cat <laughs> it's a cat, her stuffed cat you're right and and her stuffed cat goes by the name cheshire a lot like you know the the story of you know alice in wonder and, and wonderland and all that um matt the art style of this game yeah that for me is one of the biggest standouts and nintendo I've said it so so many times that I, I'm probably sound like a broken record. Kyle's probably cringing as he's listening to all of this because again, <laughs> he hates Nintendo and he probably thinks that I sound like Thacker because I can't keep a solid point going without pausing. Oh. Um, okay. It's a joke. It's a joke. Anyways. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that the art style is one of, one of the biggest, biggest selling points of this game uh, because it really feels like you're playing a storybook, Matt. Yeah, it does. Uh, from the opening title it is a book opening up as you progress through the story. Um, you know, the story is told through like pages turning and there's a narrator and then the, I, I don't know who, who, who she is, but she, I think she does a great job of doing a narration. It's kind of like when you're in kindergarten and your teacher is reading a book and she's even doing like, you know, little voices for each character. Uh, she kind of does that with Cheshire. Um, how she just kind of grunts when she's when she's speaking. So the presentation is 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 incredible, and the graphical art style that they chose, as I mentioned before, it's kind of a watercolor. Um, you kind of seen this um, this art style in like in, in storybooks. So the present, as I said, with the presentation, it really melds very well together, especially because this is such a big detraction from you know. I mean, Bayonetta's quite a looker. I mean, it doesn't run the absolute best. Or, you know, I played three, I played one. Um, but, you know, th this game isn't need to rely on having, su you know, uh, using, you know, you know graphics at, the, at, the, at its, like, advantage. Because the art style that they went with, like, the game is very fluid. 
Um, it's a lot of fun. The puzzles are thought of. I, I love the world. Plus, I love the fact that, you know, you brought up Alice in Wonderland. And that's exactly what I got from this because Alice in Wonderland yes. is based off a, a storybook. And, you know, this game has that storybook, you know, storytelling presentation. So the fact that the cat, you know, the demon is named Cheshire, the world itself feels like, you know, Wonderland itself, just, you know, there's so many crazy things going on. Uh, we'll touch more into that with, you know, the, the the main enemy. But yeah, like, a game like this is, is going to age very well. I agree. I, I agree. I think that, you know, you look at, there, there's so much variety in this game. Like, I, I don't feel like... I feel like one thing a lot of games struggle with nowadays is that you can kind of run into every level feeling very similar. It's one of my few critiques as we're playing the Resident Evil 4 remake right now that everything kind of just feels a little bit similar in that game. Bear Traps. And Bear, bear Traps, too. <laughs> love that game. They're, 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 it's not perfect, but I love that game. But back to Man at Origins, I think that it would be very easy for every environment you go into to blend together to bleed yeah. together and to kind of feel the same and, and, and the enemies kind of feel the same. It would be very easy for that to happen, but there's a lot of creativity here. I, I think that the level design goes hand in hand with the art style. Like I remember both chapters four and five for me are two of the chapters early on that stuck out a lot yeah. when it came to, you know, the wisp area and then the mad circus, those areas were so interesting and so unique that you don't you don't you don't see a lot of that in mainstream games nowadays, and I know this probably wouldn't con you know wouldn't wouldn't rank as a triple A title, but for a game that I paid sixty dollars for, there's a whole hell of a lot of creativity here compared to a lot of the video game industry as a whole nowadays. I mean, again, yeah. I love Call of Duty as much as the next person, but that's one of the biggest franchises ever, and this creatively just kicks the shit out of it. And I know, obviously, two very different franchises. But if you compare this even to, say, platformers or to more puzzle-heavy games, I feel like the creativity and the level design are so important to that genre that yeah. this being as good as it is in both of those areas, in the level design and in the art style, in the creativity, I feel like that puts this game over the top. Again, it's why I feel like there's a good argument for this game being the best Nintendo Switch release, first-party release this year. And that says something when you consider how much I loved the Metroid Prime Remaster, how much I love Fire Emblem Engage. And I know, obviously, it's not first party, but Octopath Traveler 2 was fantastic as well. So looking at the gameplay, I think that the puzzle solving is awesome. I got to be honest, the combat's a little hit or miss for me. It is. And, and yeah. I think that when it works... Oh, it's awesome. When it works, it's very satisfying. Like you can like when you get that bite prompt for Cheshire when he's in demon form, when he's in unleashed mode, when you get one of those successful bite attacks, like the the animation and the feeling in the Joy-Cons is awesome. I yeah. love that. The the real sticking point though for for the combat and really for movement as a whole though is the fact that you do control Bayon, you control Cereza. It's going to be confusing. I'm going to end up going back and forth between that and Bayonetta because her name's not Bayonetta yet. Um, when you control Cereza with one stick and you control Cheshire with the other. And that is a very hit or miss thing for me. And it, it takes yeah. quite a bit to get used to. It took me at least three or four chapters to get used to. Yeah. Because especially when you've got them both out, you're both in combat, there's multiple enemies around you. It can get very, very hectic. It can get very, very confusing, and you almost feel like, you know, your eyes don't work fast enough to look at multiple parts of the screen. 
So it almost just works in your favor to keep Bayonetta next to Cheshire to use her, you know, magic to trap enemies, use him to damage enemies. And that makes sense, but it almost feels like the deeper you get that that's not the intention. The intention is to find a way to, you know, limit enemies away from Cheshire with her while he's dealing with whatever enemies right in front of him. And I know that's a lot of words, probably really confusing there, but it just feels like there's a little bit too much going on sometimes with the combat. I don't know. What what did you think about that, Matt? Because I remember you said that that did take you a minute to get used to as well. Uh, my my complaint about the combat is the fact that, as you mentioned, there is so much going on because sometimes you can have about four enemies on screen at one time. And, you know, Cereza is, is, is so tiny. Her character model compared to, like, the fairies that you're fighting in Cheshire, and I'll lose track of her. And then another problem that I, I sometimes run into is when you control Cereza with the left stick and Cheshire with the right, if I have Cheshire on my right and Cereza to my left, I actually get super confused. And then I try, to use, I, I try to use the right stick to control Cereza, and then I realize Cheshire's running into a wall. So I'm like, wait. <laughs> but the one thing I will give on the combat is the fact that throughout the game story, you're finding these elemental cores. And each time that you find one, Cheshire gains a new uh, a new form based off of water, ground, fire, and I, I guess I'll, I'll just say grass. Um, what is he, a Pokemon? Yeah. <laughs> he's the Avatar. Um, he's Avatar. He's the, he's oh, the no. Avatar. He's oh, A. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, uh, each he's James along. Uh, each fairy type will have some sort of, like, uh, weakness to um, you know a specific uh, element. So, like for example, a fairy can have you know a uh, this hook, and if Cheshire is in his grass form, he can use his uh he, he can use his ability to grab a hook and then swing it around and then throw it back at the fairy. Or sometimes they'll have like a shield on them, which you'll have to find that element color in order to you know destroy. Them. So there's some creativity in the combat. Um, one of the boss fights that we were talking about, the one of the circus, I thought was really good. Uh, there wasn't too much going on. You know, it was kind of, you know, they, they they really kind of, you know, pointed out, you know, how to progress and how to beat the boss. And I thought that was a great fight. But it's just like the little fights here and there. I, you know, it's fine. You know, it gets kind of annoying when you open a chest and you're thrust into a fight or you run past a bush and then a fairy kind of just jumps out at you. Um... But it's, like you said, the combat's very hit or miss. I do like what they presented. It's just when you are like me and you get confused, then you know you start losing track of where Cereza or who's control or like what like what's controlling what. But I do like the fact that Cereza, as you are you know going through her um, when you're going through her her skill tree. That yes. you can eventually unlock uh, ability to bind up to four enemies, um, which is very helpful because binding enemies is what really allows Cheshire to unleash some of his more powerful attacks. Yeah, I, I think that there's there's all, there's a very good sense of progression in this game. I do like the skill trees and what you can unlock for both Cereza and Cheshire. I think that it makes exploring and getting as many materials as you can to level up, it makes that more rewarding. It gives you more of a reason to do it because in games like this, it'd be very easy just on, a, on the linear path to kind of move forward and to not worry about exploring and to not 
look for resources. It, it'd be very easy to, but they do a good job of making those resources very, very worth it. And they're not necessarily like plentiful, but they're also not so rare that, you know, if you don't scavenge every single corner of every single level, you won't find any. So there's a very, very good balance there that was struck by the developers. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Let's talk about the other, and I'm not even going to, I'm going to be real, real honest, anybody who has played the game. I'm not even going to try to pronounce this fucking word. But is it what I think the, it is? Yeah. The dungeons. <laughs> Basically the dungeons. Uh, and, not ne- and not necessarily dungeons. The um, They start with a T. They're, they're the tier whatever uh, the hells. The tier nanogs or whatever. I can make an attempt. I think it's called tier nanog. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't know. I don't know on the last word. I don't know if that O is pronounced O or Ah. So I don't really know there. But I think that those are a really, really good part of the game as well. I think those yeah. are where the puzzle or the puzzle solving really shines. Now, some of the ones you run into earlier in the game are more combat based, are more just, you know, clear these enemies out. There typically be, I think, two to three waves of them, maybe two to three enemies at a time. It's very, very simple. As you move forward, though, and there's one that, you know, I did recently that really stuck in my mind that I want to talk about because I just really found it interesting. Um, They'll turn into more puzzle-heavy puzzle heavy dungeons basically and i'm just gonna call them dungeons because they're basically like that like think it's the shrines <laughs> like, think like the shrines from like breath of the wild they're very similar to that in the sense that you know you you progress through them and at the end there's a reward typically that reward is you get a chance to increase your vitality uh that's the main ra- the main way thus far through the game that i've been able to raise my vitality so uh there's one that stuck out in me. It's right after you get the stone ability, the stone, uh, the stone form for Cheshire, and it's where he has to stomp on these levers to make these platforms appear. And as you get deeper into it, there's multiple levers that he has to trigger that the the platforms only stay up for a certain amount of time. They only stay up for maybe about ten seconds, and you have to bounce back and forth to get Cereza across these, you know, these chasms. And obviously, if you know the platform that she's on shrinks and she's not able to get across, you have to start the whole thing over. That'd be very, very frustrating. But I feel like how they did it and the movement speed of this game, I feel like it works very well. The platforming and the puzzle solving, again, I know we bragged on it early in this episode, but it is really, really good, Matt. Like, it, this is again, these, these, I'm not even going to try to pronounce them, these shrines, these dungeons, these puzzle areas, it's really where the gameplay shrines. Has there been one that stuck yeah. out to you? Because I know there's uh, yeah. a chase one early on that's really good as well. Yeah, actually, there was there was one around in the circus level where I think it's actually one of the very first ones that is not combat heavy, but it has Cereza and Cheshire get split up on uh, both sides of the screen. And yes. you're having to keep, you know, helping out one another from one side to the other. And I think there's, a, and there's like trains pulling out of these portals that you are trying to avoid getting hit by. Um... I like the little sound effect that comes with the trains. It's just really, it's really nice. <laughs> yeah. um, that's, that's one that really sticks out to me. And then as a little bit further into the game, you kind of get to this area called the fairy tower. Um, I'm not going to get too much into it, but it's kind of like this boss like character who, when you go through it, you know, you, uh, you and Cheshire split up again and you're having to hit these buttons and you're having to use every elemental ability that Cheshire has to help Cereza progress and she as well because there is the, like that yellow stuff that Cheshire can't progress like pass through because he's a demon and it's like purification. Um, uh, it was very very suck out to me the most out of all of these uh, 
Tiernanogs. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> no, we're just going to bite the bullet um, on that Tiernanog. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to I'm just going to call it that. Uh there are ones that I'm not too big of a fan on uh because with how the combat can be confusing there are some where it's like um you know, you're on a time limit to defeat the number of enemies. Those are fine. The ones that kind of frustrate me are the ones where Cereza takes damage, gets hit one time, it's, it's over. And like I said... I have sometimes I lose... one of those, so I'm glad you'll... I have it. <laughs> yeah, you, you will, you'll, you'll find them. You'll find them. Um, another thing I do want to point out that I really do like is after that circus level and you unlock the Wisp like playground area. Um, yes. I love, I love going around the map and finding the other Wisps and then coming back to that playground and seeing them all interacting on the swings, playing like, you know, because they're kids. They're kids who died in this forest. Uh, so it's really kind of bittersweet to see that, but I love collecting them and finding them in like different parts of the map. So that's that's a great addition to this game. That's going to probably even after I beat the game, I want to find all the wisps. <laughs> you know, I, I I want to applaud Nintendo for this as well because you know Nintendo doesn't tell a lot of mature stories. You know, they don't tell a lot of stories that have dark subject matter. It's just not been what t- it's just not what Nintendo's brand has ever been built on. I mean. Think about it. This is a brand that's been built on a a mustachioed plumber, Pokemon, and Zelda. So I mean, it's this is not it's not like really on brand for them. But this is a really really there's a lot of really really deep subject matter here because if you think about it, Matt, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, a lot of the story comes from the fact that Cereza ultimately wants to get back to her mother. You know, her mother's been imprisoned, and you know, Cereza's been with this witch that she's been learning from for, you know, the better part of her life. And she's trying to go and rescue her mother. Uh, and to do so, she has to go into the forbidden forest. LOL. I love that trope there. Uh, I think that's, I think that's the gist of the story there, but at least as far as I can tell I me mean, again, we, we have to play so many games. It's so hard to commit everything to memory, but <laughs> yeah, but this is a really, really dark story. It's not dark on the levels of, say, Last of Us Part Two, Plague Tale Requiem. It's not that dark. But for Nintendo, it, it is a very, very dark, dark story that hides a lot of its, you know, a lot of the dark parts of it. Because, you I mean, you mentioned the Wisps there being children that have died in the forest. I mean, that's that's very dark. And you don't ever really get that kind of you don't ever really get that kind of feel from them whenever you interact with them in the game because they're always laughing. They're whimsical. Yeah. They're funny. And yeah. I think that Nintendo did the, the, the Nintendo and the developers want to give the developers credit here too because obviously another one's making the game. They did such a good job of balancing that, in my opinion. It'd be very easy to make it just all laughing, all jokes, all funny, funny. But they do a really good job of balancing kind of those serious moments. Um, and I think a lot of that is shown also in the interactions between Cereza and Cheshire. They do not like each other early nope. on in this story. They do not like each other. Uh, and and to be honest, I, it wouldn't shock me. I haven't beaten the game yet. I know Matt, you were close. Did you finish the game or no? I'm actually probably on the on the final boss fight right now. Yeah. So, you're, so yeah, you're you're pretty close to being. I don't know if it gets better, but it's one of those that I've said early on that I would not be shocked if they never really liked each other all that much in the story. Now, if they do end up liking each other, then I look like a dumbass who hasn't beaten the game. But you know, <laughs> that is what it is. I'll take that risk. But. There, there is so much good that has been done in this game, whether it's the gameplay, the puzzle solving, the art style, the way the game runs really well. Like, there, I don't think I had very many performance issues, Matt. I don't know if you did. I'll let you I talk about that. One. No, I don't have a single one. Yeah, I, I feel like the game runs really well. Obviously, like, it's not going to be your 60 FPS 4K juggernaut, 
But I, I think if you're expecting that from a Switch game at this point, I mean, I think that's more on you than it is Nintendo, <laughs> if we're yeah. being honest here. Um, again, in a, in a really good year for the Switch, this might be their best one yet. And I loved Fire Emblem Engage. I loved the Metroid Prime remaster, and I loved... I haven't had a chance to play Kirby Return to Dreamland yet, because, LOL, money. <laughs> and I'm not made of it. It's hard. It's hard to ask hard right now. <laughs> obviously, I, I've heard that, you know, Return to Dreamland Deluxe was really damn good. And obviously, Octopath Traveler 2 was really good. We've got Tears of the Kingdom coming in, what, May, I believe? Yes, May. May. Yep. And... I, I said this, Matt, you know, we, we talked about, and this is going to kind of, you know, we'll end this episode on a little bit of a, dis, a smaller discussion. I think we could really do a full episode on this, but okay. uh, it, do you think, and I'll ask you this because it's come up when me, you, and Kyle have talked about it. Thacker's not as big into the Switch as the three of us are, and that's fine. I mean, to each his own. Kyle hates Nintendo, and yet he has like five Switches, so I mean... <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna unmute himself be like that's a lie that's a lie <laughs> but his most anticipated uh, game is a nintendo game and, and, well well here's so here's my question for you and this will get into my last point before we call it an episode do you okay. legitimately think that this is like the last year of this current iteration of the switch being nintendo's main focus i i honestly i i think so especially with like all of the you know rumors starting to go around but i know we've had plenty of rumors before in the past but some things that i've read like uh a little off topic this this gentleman who literally predicted every single announcement at the last pokemon direct from every specific detail about the dlc literally said that currently there is a team that is working on basically scarlet and violet is not going to get the kind of patch that we are hoping it's going to get with the regular switch but apparently they are working on a very big update for when the next whatever it is a upgraded model of the switch or whether it is the next you know generation for nintendo um he mentioned that they are currently working on a you know big uh, firmware update for Scarlet and Violet. Um, but another thing is just the fact that Nintendo's been very, very quiet about what's going on in the last half of this year. We know that their biggest game, and I've actually noticed this with every generation of Nintendo's consoles, Nintendo will always end the year of their current system with a Zelda game. Um, yeah. And that is pretty much where, because right now we don't have a lot of announcements. We have Zelda, we have Pikmin. We don't know what I else Nintendo has coming. About Pikmin. I keep we forgetting don't... about Pikmin, and I'm excited for Pikmin 4. Same here, especially after that trailer. Like That was great. It, it looks really good, too. Yeah. Um, but, like, I feel like I, I I feel like there's a lot of games that have been like, for example, Metroid Prime is a big no, is a, is a big one. I personally feel like it would it started redevelopment because I feel like all of Nintendo's developers right now are currently working on games for the next system because you know, Nintendo has released so many games on the Switch since its release back in 20, 2017. and um, you know, it's starting to it, it, it's starting to catch up with them. You know, there's a lot of you know a lot of developers are currently not making games on the current Switch right now, outside of you know Nintendo's part Nintendo in, in in their partners, and I think that's obviously because there's such a big you know difference between you know, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X, and obviously Nintendo's next system is not going to be as you know, powerful as those consoles, but it's, it's probably going to get up there with about the PlayStation 4 Pro and the Xbox One X. Um, so the, I personally think that with what we currently know, that yeah, 
this is I think this is the Switch's final year. Yeah, I, I think there's a chance. I mean, one thing I've said off air has always been it feels this year like Nintendo has pushed a lot of their chips chips to the middle of the table. Because, I mean, look at how many early releases we've had this year. Again, yeah. I'm aware that Octopath Traveler 2 is not necessarily a first-party game, but a lot of people associate that game directly with the Switch. You yeah. look at Fire Emblem Engage, a massive release, because that's, again, one of their biggest JRPG franchises, if not their biggest. Uh, you know, you look at the Metroid Prime Remaster, and I know that that was... I'm, I'm aware that that was a shadow drop digitally and that, you know, there were the issues in the supply chain stuff early on in the physical release. But now that game is pretty widely available now. Like you go to yeah, a was, Walmart, you go to a Best Buy, it's pretty widely available. I think Nintendo's realized that people yeah. will buy that game. So adding that, you know, you got Kirby Return to Dreamland, and now this, it feels like Nintendo has has really tried this year to put out high quality. And to be fair, I always said last, I thought that last year was a good year for the Switch. I thought they yeah. put out a lot of really good games last year. It, it really does feel like they're going out with a bang. We don't have do we have a release date on Pikmin 4? Um, I want to say I think it was um I think it was June or July. One of those two. So it's after Tears of the Kingdom. And I figured it would be. I figured Tears of the Kingdom is probably the next biggest Switch title that we're getting. Unless there's one that I'm not... Well, unless we count Hogwarts Legacy. Shit. I mean... Can we just... I know that there's there's only two of us here. I know I know Kyle is muted. Kyle will text me his answer here. Can we just all <laughs> agree that Hogwarts Legacy is going to run like absolute shit on the Switch? Yeah. Yeah, I like none of us are a believer in that, right? I don't want I don't even want to I don't even want to watch the digital foundry tech video for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I honestly think it's gonna look like shit. <laughs> I, for it. I love it. I love that. So no, I yeah, I think I think there's no shot in hell that Hogwarts Legacy runs well on the Switch. There is no shot. But but it, it does feel like again. This feels like an all-in kind of year on the Switch, and, you know, that's a very good point, Matt, you bring up with, you know, Tears of the Kingdom, it being, you know, they typically end their generations on that. You know, what did the Wii U, what was their swan song? It was Breath of the Wild. It was Breath of the Wild, yeah. It, it, it was Breath of the Wild, and I know that Breath of the Wild was obviously available day one on the Switch, and, you know, that's, again, where a lot of people, you know, a lot of people love to associate it there, but it was a Wii U release. So I think that people forget that was so I have to ask them because I've never noticed that trend, Matt. Was Skyward Sword the last the big release yes. for the Wii? Yes, it was. Wow. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, I definitely didn't know that. That's that's really interesting, actually. Um, we might need to discuss that more off air because that's actually a really interesting trend. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. um, so my last question for you. Well, no, I have two questions. One, do you think that? we're going to get a Tears of the Kingdom OLED. Uh, I do think so. Uh, there's, I, I'm definitely thinking with those images that were leaked, because if those were fake, those are really good fakes, because they fake like the packaging. They fake like every single little thing when you open up the box. Um, and just today, we got announced that there's a 10-minute special presentation for Tears of the Kingdom this week, and I think that if, if this OLED is real, I think it's going to get announced at that event. I I know that this is a Bayonetta Origins episode, and I don't want to like let that be forgotten because I yeah. love this game. I would have loved. I know that there's no chance there would have been no chance of it. I would have loved for Nintendo to give us like a Switch Lite edition for this game. I feel like this oh, yeah. game would have been. This game could have produced a really really cool special edition Switch. I know obviously not a big enough release to warrant it, 
And I don't want the Switch Lite to just be forgotten because I think the Switch Lite is a very, very, very good console that not yeah. enough people talk about um, for multiple reasons. I should get one. <laughs> I'm a, I, I, can't, I forget you don't have one because I have both of the Pokemon Edition ones. I just love it because you don't have to really worry about Joy-Cons. You don't have to worry about charging Joy-Cons. I love it yeah. for that. It, yeah. It's more of that Game Boy feel. But the last question, and, and again, we could probably do a whole episode on this, and, and I want to do an episode with you and Kyle, kind of, you know, two Zelda veterans talking to a Zelda novice here. Um, I legitimately feel like the closer and closer we get to Tears of the Kingdom, I feel like it is legitimately going to be a Game of the Year threat. Do you feel the same? I do. Um, I, I, just re- I just remember when Breath of the Wild came out, I don't remember anything under a 10. Like, that game just blew up. And Nintendo, when it comes to... Nintendo doesn't really make sequels. But when they make a sequel, it is incredible. Like, Mario Galaxy from the Mario Galaxy 2 was so incredible. Because Nintendo likes to use ideas that they had in the... You know, in the, in the when they're coming up with the concept. So when they, a lot of the ideas that we're going to see in Breath... Or in uh, Tears of the Kingdom were things that they would have liked to have put but, in put in breath of the wild but they you know they ran out of time or they just couldn't figure out how to manage how to fit it in there i remember seeing concept art of link looking like a having like alien wear like alien looking attire and a ufo and i don't we don't know a lot about tears of the kingdom nintendo's being really secretive with this one and we are literally about a month and a half away from release so this 10 minute presentation that they're going to show this week i'm hoping that we get quite a bit but i i i just want to know the difference between like what's going to be different between Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom because a lot of people are like, oh, they're reusing the same map from Hyrule, but you know, they're adding like the whole, you know, sky like area like element to it. And I'm like, don't doubt Nintendo when it comes to their ideas because they're going to blow our minds. And I think Tears of the Kingdom is probably going to be one of the highest rated games this year. I think there's a really, really good shot that you're right. And I'm, I'm excited for it because I've never beaten a Legend of Zelda game. I've already popped one of those, never beaten any game from this franchise, Cherries, with Fire Emblem Engage earlier this year. It was my first Fire Emblem title that I beat. I'm excited to get to Tears of the Kingdom. But again, want to reiterate, Bayonetta Origins, Cerezo and the Lost Demon, phenomenal game. Absolutely, Absolutely. loved it. I, I would Again, I feel like the average score that I've given you know, Switch releases this year has been a 9, and I think I'd give another 9 here. I think that this game is phenomenal. The storytelling's great. Art style's great. The combat's the biggest question mark, but I feel like if you can get used to it, it's really, really good. When it works, it works really, really damn well. So that's going to do it for this episode of Side Mission. A little bit of a longer episode. Was surprised that this episode was as long as it was, but it's all good. It's a lot of fun. That's going to wrap it up for us. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Side Mission Pod. You can also check us out on Facebook at Side Mission Podcast. For Matt, for Kyle on the production side of things, I'm Rusty. Thanks for listening.